Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Ephesians chapter number five, as we continue this month in moving forward in our family, Ephesians chapter number five. And I'll make the same disclaimer today that I made last week. And I was thankful for the feedback that I got after church last week and over really the entire week. But one of the difficulties of preaching on the family is understanding that people come from different family situations. Some are married, some are not. Uh, some are divorced, some are widows and widowers. Uh, there are all types of different family dynamics. And so I'm going to preach what I believe the Lord has led me to preach this morning because that's what I have to do every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. Uh, however, I do understand that at first glance, this passage may not seem to apply to everyone who is here. But yet I believe at the same time that the Holy Spirit is able to apply the Word of God into your situation and give you what you need from the Word of God despite this passage maybe not fitting exactly where you are in your spiritual journey here today. And the title of my message is this, and I think it's so vitally important. In fact, we can't ignore it as we look at this issue of moving forward in our family, and it's this, a God-honoring marriage. A God-honoring marriage. At Sunday school, they were teaching how God created everything, including human beings. Little Johnny, a child in the kindergarten class, seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in the week, his mother noticed him lying down as though he were ill and said, Johnny, what's the matter? And he said, I don't feel well, Mom. My stomach hurts. I think I'm having a wife. <laughs> think about that for a second. <laughs> If only marriage was that easy, that you had a little bit of a stomach ache. Actually, sometimes marriage may give you a stomach ache. Uh, all things considered, as more I dig deeper into that illustration, let's uh, get back out of that illustration for just a moment and admit, uh, just like we talked about the family this last week, that when marriage is the way that God intended, it is a true gift from God. When the relationship is that which God has intended it to be, it could not be a greater gift from God. But yet at the same time, when marriage is done with people's own thoughts, own wills, own designs, apart from what God has taught us in his revealed perfect word of God, we start to reveal like this, marriage will give you a stomachache and something a whole lot worse. And so we want to look at this morning what it takes to have a God-honoring marriage. Another disclosure before we start this morning. You might be in this situation today where you say something like this, Pastor, I wish my wife could hear this. Or Pastor, I wish my husband would listen closely to this this morning. I've got good news for you. I'm not preaching to your wife or to your husband. Although maybe if they're sitting in this room, I am. But I am really focused and intent as I speak on you today. The issue is not, Lord, Make my spouse into what I want them to be. Let me say that again. The issue is not, Lord, make my spouse into what I want them to be. The issue is this, God, make me into the spouse that you want me to be. And if we put that first in what we look at today, I believe the Lord will help us. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Ephesians chapter number five, beginning in verse number 22. 
In a day and age where marriage is ridiculed, minimized, and even redefined, it's God and His Word which must reign supreme. And this text gives us one of the greatest summaries of what it means to have a godly, spirit-filled marriage. Ephesians 5, verse number 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanses, cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. There's a lot going on in those verses. And there might be a little bit that's even giving you a little bit of heart palpitations going through some of those words and phrases thinking, Pastor, are you saying what I think you're saying? And the answer is, I'm not saying anything. We want to see what the Lord has to say for us today. Heavenly Father, be with us as we get into your word. And again, I do recognize that there will be some people who immediately might even turn off this message just thinking it doesn't apply. And I understand why that could be. But I pray your Holy Spirit, who is so much mightier and so much greater than anything we can even conceive, would apply this message to each and every heart who is here today, that no one would be left behind from your word, no matter their family situation or dynamic. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When it comes to marriage, it's important that we define and establish that marriage must be called what it is by God. Marriage was established by God the Father in the garden. In fact, Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 18, for the sake of time, I won't have you turn there, but I'll read where it says this. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. Of none of the animals were there one that would be able to understand and to know and to have a relationship with Adam. None of those animals would fulfill that. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto a man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Marriage established in the garden. I've heard it said before. Why was she called woman? It's because Adam probably looked at Eve for the first time and said, Whoa, man, 
uh, look at her. And the name has stuck ever since. Okay, I thought it was funny. All right, never mind. But uh, the idea is this, is that God established in the garden, by the way, that marriage would be between one man and one woman for the concept of a lifetime. By the way, it doesn't make me phobic to be able to say that, and it doesn't make us haters of those who have different beliefs to be able to say that. We must stand upon marriage, not what tradition says, uh, but what the scriptures tell us marriage is. And so the Bible makes it clear that marriage is between one man and one woman, and supposed to be for a lifetime because those two become one flesh. But that's not just told to us in the garden. That's also reiterated by none other than Jesus Christ in the New Testament. These aren't just my words. These are Jesus who said in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that, that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? By the way, another idea for us that's also reiterated for Genesis chapter 1, that God is the one who creates male and female, and that mankind cannot decide what they want to be between man and woman, that to do so is an affront against a holy God who has created us in his image, that we cannot decide to be a different gender or a third gender or one of a hundred genders that are recognized in this country today. And no, I didn't make that up. And no, that's not hyperbole, that those are things that are actually being said today. But it's God in his image who said, I make him man and woman. But Jesus says, it was the same thing in Matthew chapter 19. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. Wherefore for what God hath put together, let no man put asunder. And of course, that's reiterated in the epistles for us too. In what we just read in Ephesians chapter 5, you'll recognize some of the words that I just read right here in Ephesians chapter number 5 as well. And again, the Bible making it clear that what is called homosexual marriage today or any of the other titles that it goes by is that marriage is not just traditional, but biblically between one man and one woman for a lifetime. But yet biblical marriage is under assault today from politicians, from special interest groups, major corporations, and especially the entertainment world. And of course, these are the same entities that portray promiscuousness and other sinful behavior as normal. These are the ones that portray viewing pornography as healthy. These are the ones that say sexual deviance is simply an alternative lifestyle. But by the way, unlike what Hollywood will tell you, Adultery and fornication, anything outside of God's plan, does not give the person committing the act a happily ever after. No, no, pornography does not strengthen a marriage. It can only diminish it. No, no, a, a fornication or adultery does not make one happy, but yet actually, unlike what the Hollywood movies say, it creates more confusion and difficulty than you'll find anywhere else. No, no, this isn't about what the world says, and this is not even about what your opinion or my opinion on the matter is. It's about what does the Word of God say about this. Now, this doesn't mean that we're unkind, and this doesn't mean that we're unloving towards those who uh, practice uh, these types of things apart from the Word of God. Listen, we're supposed to love everyone with the love of Christ and try to win them unto Christ through the gospel. But yet we also must say, as we look at what marriage is, we must say, what does the Word of God say about this? Because we understand the world says something completely different. And it's not just about homosexuality. Again, it's about fornication. It's about adultery. Uh, it's about living outside of marriage. It's all of these things that the Bible tells us that are contrary to God's plan that must be avoided. But that brings us to our text this morning in Ephesians chapter number 5 which is a phenomenal summary of what a biblical marriage should look like. 
And I want us to look through these verses and maybe in a little bit different way that I normally would do this here today. I kind of want us to go verse by verse and make some comments along the way so that we can understand exactly what we're looking at today. And I would say this, the world looks at biblical marriage as twisted. The world looks at biblical marriage as archaic, uh, stale, and possibly even abusive. That's what the world would say about biblical marriage. That's what the world would say where they would look at Ephesians chapter number 5 and and look at these words and look at these commands and look at these uh, uh, admonitions for us today. But again, as we've said many times before, the Bible says this, let God be true and every man a liar. We must put our own opinions at the door and say, God, what do you say about this situation? And by the way, we have to do that in everything we do in life. Not just about marriage, but about the family or about what you watch on television or about what you're listening to in your car, or about how you communicate with one another. We must take our opinions and check it to the back seat and say, Lord, this is all about what you say, and I have to get in line with your holy word. Well, we see from this text, when we look at it with clear eyes, and we look at it for what it is, we realize that there's beauty and harmony that God intends within the institution of marriage. It starts in verse number 21 where we read, uh, or actually in verse number 22 rather, where we read, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And certainly for wives who are here today, reading verses number 22 through 24, you're first thought may be, I have to submit to him, question mark. Because this isn't in the abstract. If you're married, this is talking about your relationship that you have with one another. But I understand when that word submission is used, all of a sudden the mind starts to run in all kinds of different places. But again, let's check on the back seat what we think about these things and let's put to the forefront what God is saying here. Warren Wearsby, the great commentator, said this about this passage. The idea of submission doesn't have anything to do with someone being smarter or better or more talented. It has to do with a God-appointed order. Anyone who served in the armed forces knows that rank has to do with order and authority, not with value or ability. Now, we have some who are here today that have served in the armed forces and we're thankful for your service. And they would even say, just because you're a general doesn't mean you're the best. Just because you're of higher rank doesn't mean uh, that you are the one that is the most valuable or most important. In fact, I would say in the armed services that it's not necessarily those who are in the Pentagon who are the most important. I would say those who are in the foxholes. It's those who are out there who are doing the work out in the trenches, making sure that things uh, are getting done and defending our freedoms in a way that maybe they don't understand or can't even conceive. No, no, when we talk about this word submission, we're not talking about man, most important, knuckle-dragging men uh, going around saying, woman, you come, cook me dinner. This is going over about as well as I thought it would this morning, but that's all right. We're just going to stick to the word of God and it's going to be okay. Uh, No, that's not what it's talking about. In fact, if you continue to read, you realize it's going to be quite the opposite than that. But the idea is that in a home, that there is an order to what God is doing. In fact, that word submission really means this, if we were to break it apart, sub-mission. Sub means under, and mission means, well, there is a mission. Uh, subordinate maybe is another word we could use, sub meaning under, ordinate meaning order, meaning this, there's a mission, there's an order that God has, and really, husband and wife are supposed to do what? Work together. 
for the mission. They are working together for the cause of Christ. They are working together in the order that God has placed. And this is God's plan. And by the way, another commentator said this, submission does not mean inferiority. There is a mission for the Christian marriage, and that mission is obeying and glorifying God. The wife says, I'm going to put myself under that mission. That mission is more important than my individual desires. I'm not putting myself below my husband. I'm putting myself below the mission God has for my marriage and for my life. That you are not placing yourself under him in such a way uh, that, that there is no um, understanding of what's going on. No, no, that you are saying, I am going to, with him together, for the glory of God, uh, serve him in any capacity, he says, and we're going to do this together. And it does require that one makes the final decisions at times, because anything with two heads is a monster. And so there is that type of submission. But it continues, it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. And twice it does mention own husbands, meaning this, uh, the Bible does not teach that every woman is to submit to every man. The Bible does not teach that the women, as, as, a, uh, as a sex, I was about to say gender, but nowadays it's, it's confusing when you say that, but women altogether submit to every man. What does it say? To your own husbands, that in that home, that that is the relationship uh, that is to take place. A young woman once wanted to go to college, but her heart sank when she read the question on the application that asked, are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote, no and returned the application. To her surprise, she, relieved a, she received a letter from the college, and it said this, Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We're accepting you because we feel it's imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> Sometimes we think followership is less than, or followership is inferiority. Can I challenge you here today? I'm going to give you some homework. How about that? Go home and read Proverbs chapter 31. Not just the ladies, but the men too. Go home and read Proverbs 31. And let me ask you if that woman that is mentioned as her price being far above rubies, this woman of great renown, this Proverbs 31 woman, as we often talk of her, let me ask you if that woman is less than. Now, the Bible says this, her husband, her children will praise her at the gates because of how industrious she is and how wonderful she is and how many incredible things that she does. Oh no, this is not someone who is less than at all. It's someone who understands that we have a mission and we're working together for the mission to glorify God in everything that he does. And this is the order that God has given. But I will say to you ladies, again as a man, that I can imagine that that type of relationship could be hard. It could be difficult. But I also say this this morning, that when a biblical marriage is working as it should, the man also has a very difficult, the husband has a very difficult, and in some ways, watch your slings and arrows for a moment, an even harder job that comes up in the next verses. Look at what it says in verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives. Stop right there. You say, Pastor, should that be hard? No, no, that in and of itself is not hard. Husbands, you should love your wives. 
I was hoping for a few more amens from the men than that, but that's okay. Husbands, you should love your wives. That's good. Thank you, Ralph. All right, so, and I heard you too, Peter. Husbands, love your wives. Watch this. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you realize what real leadership is, husbands? Real leadership is not, well, I get to boss my wife around. That's such a Neanderthal. Neanderthal. I was going to say dumb. Thank you, Peter. My living thesaurus right next to me. I like that. That, that is such an awful way of thinking. No, no. Because let me ask you this. Is that the way Christ treats us? The Bible says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It's the role of the husband to literally radiate the love of Christ in everything that he does. Who took upon him, what does it say in, in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2? The form of a servant. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Could I say in many ways, that's the harder job. Not that either one's easy. I'm not saying that at all. But husbands, if you think you're going to get on a power trip because you get to tell your wife what to do, where to go, when, this and that. No, no, no. You better be thankful that that's not how Christ treats you. The love that Christ has. You'd say, well, you don't know her, Pastor. First of all, I hope you don't say that out loud and she's sitting in this room because then we have some problems. But could I also say this? Christ's love for us was undeserved. And yet he gave it lavishly. So men, what do we do? Well, she doesn't deserve X, Y, Z. Well, do you want Christ to remove his love from your life because you don't deserve it? Maybe you need to love her into that relationship and show her Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's not easy. By the way, men, that's why we need to be spiritual leaders in our homes. That's why we need to be the ones to, and I found oftentimes it's the ladies who are the spiritual leaders in the homes and the ladies, the ones that open the Bibles with the children and such as that. But men, we need to make sure that we're the ones, not that women can't do that, no, not even close to that. But husbands, if Christ is the one that we're to be radiating, shouldn't we be showing Christ, the word, John 1, 1 to them? Look at what it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's what we need to do. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. I'll come back to that in a second. Verse number 28. So ought men to love their wives. How much? As their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. That means a couple different things. One, it means this. When you love your wife, uh, you are, are showing that you are uh, uh, loving yourself in the sense that it is a help to you as well. But remember, you're also one flesh. So when you love her, you are actually loving your own body because your bodies are technically one in the sight of God because you are together as one flesh. And God says, this is how much I want, to I want you to love her. You love her as much as you love yourself. Now we're kind of getting down to somewhere where we understand because we love ourselves. You ever seen a guy at the gym doing curls while he's looking in the mirror at himself? You can understand, yeah, love and life. Bible says, hey, you love yourself? You love her like you love that. 
No man ever hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. So what does that mean? That, that we lead in a way uh, that, is, that is vulgar, that we lead in a way that is foolhardy, that we lead in a way that, that, that thinks of ourselves first? No, no, our, our leadership should be such uh, that we are constantly thinking of the other person. That we constantly consider the needs of the other person. By the way, guys, if you ever have to be in the home and say, I'm the husband, this is the way we've got to do it. You've lost control and you've lost your mind. Because that's not leadership. Could you imagine here at the church, if I was up here in the front and say, hey, I'm the pastor here. The day I have to do that is probably the day I need to resign and leave because if you don't know I'm the pastor, we've lost all control. But the Bible says this. That for the husband, he leads in such a way that he cherishes and considers the need of someone else, particularly his wife. And that's so vitally important. And continues on and explains what we just said from the Old Testament and from Jesus' words in the New Testament about what biblical marriage is. This is the great mystery, verse 32, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, every one of you in particular, so love his wife, and in summary, even as himself and the wife, see that she reverence her husband. But go back to verse number 27, if you will, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I believe this, this verse is saying this. Christ is constantly trying to better his church to help us to be what we need to be as a church so that we can be presented to God as a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. That we as a church can be presented not like the Laodiceans or some of those other churches that we find in the book of Revelation, but a church uh, that, it, that is, is showing manifestly the holiness and gloriousness of Jesus Christ, that we can be presented back to Him. That's what God wants us to be as a church. He doesn't want us to be an unholy church. He wants to be a church as a reflection of Him. But you know what that's also saying? That husbands, you and I have the responsibility to be able to lead our wives in such a way that at the judgment seat of Christ, we can present them to the Lord in the same way. Now think about that for a second. That's a sobering thought. I heard a pastor preach a couple of years ago. He'd been a pastor for many years. He went with his wife to a visit to the oncologist and just found out his wife had cancer. Stage four, very serious. They went out of the meeting and obviously there was great sadness and this father talked, the pastor talked to his son and he said this, he says, son, he says, I'm asking God to give mom five years. And he says, well, that's, you know, that's obviously, we, we need to pray about that. And he says, no, I have a specific reason why I need to ask God to give her five years. He says, I don't feel that I've done enough to help present her to the Lord of the judgment seat of Christ to be who she needs to be. I've been so busy with church people. I've been so busy with my own things. He says, I don't feel like I have done what God told me to do in Ephesians chapter number five to present her to the Lord. And so I'm asking God to give five years where I'm going to reprioritize, where I'm going to look at my life differently. And I'm going to make sure that I fulfill the obligation that I made on that marriage altar all those years ago. By the way, that was a promise that was made. And so what did he do for five years? He 
did things that he had to do as well in his church and such, but he made sure that he made an emphasis on this to such that he felt like and she felt like when the time was ready, she was prepared to meet her Lord. And God gave her not just five years, but seven years before she passed. Do you realize the heaviness, gentlemen, of that responsibility? Do you realize the weight of what has been laid upon us to be able to do that? And it's so important. But let me ask you this, because we look at the ladies and we look at the men. You say, who can do this? Who could do this? Maybe you even look at this and say, Pastor, I've already messed it up. I mean, we're together, but I mean, I've messed this up. Or I'm, or I'm, not, or, or I'm, I'm not even married anymore. I've messed this up. What, what, do, I, what do I do about this? Or, or maybe you feel like maybe you're saved and your spouse is not saved and you feel like maybe this couldn't even apply to you. You say, what do I do with this? How, how do I get this done? Well, can I tell you this? It's not by reading the self-help books. It's not through reading the romance novels. It's not on something that's on your web browser, on a porn site. Could I tell you what it is? I started our text in a very specific place. And some of you, some of you are sneaky. You're not just reading what I'm reading. You're reading other stuff too. I know who you are. I'm not gonna look at anybody. I'm not gonna point anyone out. But I skipped a verse. I started a very specific place because there was something that's so important. Actually, two things are so important. Jump up with me in chapter number five, if you will. I know this isn't a shouting and, and kind of message, and, and, but, but boy, this is an important message. Will, will you look at this with me, please? Look at verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this may seem like two wildly different phrases, like what does one have to do with the other? But the Bible says this, instead of being controlled by alcohol, allow the Spirit to control you in everything that you do. Just as you lose yourself when you imbibe alcohol, in the same way we should lose ourselves, if you will, not out of control, but in spirit control. As we allow the Holy Spirit to work within us that can help us to do things that we on our own cannot do. Listen, I can't love my wife as Jesus Christ loved the church. But when I have the Holy Spirit who's living inside of me, who is helping me and aiding me and guiding me, all of a sudden I want to help her and love her and do things for her in a way that I wouldn't want to do on my own because I'm my flesh. I want to love me. But in the Spirit, I want to look out for her first. In the spirit, ladies, you, you would say, I, I, don't, I don't get him. I don't understand him. I don't know why he does what he does. I don't know why he says. And, and listen, if, if your husband is asking you to do something that's unscriptural, the Bible's not telling you to submit to that. No, no, what do we do? We obey God rather than man. I, I want to be very clear about that. That doesn't mean that you should submit to abuse. This doesn't mean that you should submit to those things. No, no, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is this. You might say, well, but, but. But Lord, he's a spiritual oaf. I was afraid the lady would say amen there. Okay. Um, he, he doesn't get it. He, he, all he does is think about himself and his toys and his, and his own money and his own things. Could I encourage you? Walk in the spirit. The Bible also says this. He can be one, whether it's to salvation or to a right relationship with God by the right relationship of the wife. 
and vice versa. And vice versa. But look at verse number 21. Because submission, and this is that part that some of you might have read. Well, you think, Pastor, did you say only the women have to submit? Well, look at what it says in verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. You know what we don't have to do at the Rivero house by the grace of God? Sit around a table and make a decision. And Diane says one thing and I say another. And say, well, I'm the man and this is what we're going to do. Is she listening right now? No, okay, she's not. You know, you, know, you know what we have to do? Diane and I disagree. In case you aren't sure about that, she has red hair. We disagree. And, and actually, most of the disagreements have to do with me, not her. I better be honest because I'm preaching. Here, here's what we do. There are times we have disagreements. We have to lay them out. We have to talk about why we disagree. And then you know what we do? I submit myself to her. She submits herself to me. That we one and another say, we're going to do what we need to do by walking in the Spirit and having the fear of the Lord. And you know what just happens? If we do it God's way, we're just able to move ahead. That I can't ever really remember a lot of times, if really ever, that I told Diane, this is what we're doing. Come on, we're going. That it's, if it works the way it's supposed to work, we submit ourselves one to another. You know why? Because my leadership should be about meeting her needs. No, it's not about leading, meeting my own needs. It's about, I want to meet your needs. And when she sees that I have that heart, she might realize that maybe something that she thinks is a need is not really a need. And she realizes, well, maybe God wants us to do something different. And all of a sudden, because we're both seeking the Lord, what ends up happening, we go the direction God wants us. You say, well, this requires the other one to get right. No, no, this just requires you to be right with God. And you leave the results to Him. You leave the results to Him. I know this doesn't apply to everyone today. Or you may feel like it did apply to you, but it can't apply to you anymore. I don't know. But, but here's what I do know today is that you and I can look at this text here as those who are in a marriage relationship and realize that God can give us a glorious, wonderful, spirit-filled marriage when we submit ourselves to each other but who's the one we're really supposed to submit to? To him. Here's the thing. If I have to submit myself to him, and she submits herself to him, and he's the one that's guiding, so that means I'm going where he's going, and she's going where she's going, aren't we going to end up getting to the same place? See, but pastor, she's not even saved. He's not even saved. Do you know one of the best ways to help bring them to Christ? Follow this. Do this. Live out what we see in the Word of God. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. It's not always pleasant. But I would submit to you, do you think the world has a better plan? Do you think the world has a better way? Watch one romantic comedy that Hollywood puts out. In fact, do yourself a favor and don't. But if you did, their answer is always this. It's always about something about the flesh and satisfying self. God's plan is about submitting to one another 
submitting to him, and you can have a God-honoring marriage. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.